Welcome to a special edition of Savage Marriage with Phil and Priscilla. And I'm Phil. And I'm Priscilla. You'll be listening to Phil and I read our award-winning book, Savage Marriage, Triumph Over Betrayal and Sexual Addiction. We're releasing the audio version of our book for free, chapter by chapter, every few weeks on this podcast. If you benefited from our ministry, share this podcast with someone else. You'll be glad you did. And here we go. Chapter 8, Unseen Forces in Our Minds We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 I've had more trouble with myself than any other man. Dwight L. Moody Elbows bumped as people jostled for position to get the best view of the solar eclipse. I stood outside my office building, put on the paper eclipse glasses, and stared up at the sky. Out of the corner of my eye, I glimpsed a young woman wearing a backless, flowy blouse. It was certainly not the type of blouse someone would wear to our office, or any office. She was 60 feet away, and as the slight breeze ruffled her blouse, I could see she wasn't wearing a bra, and I caught a glimpse of the side of her breast. Four months prior, I'd come clean with Priscilla about my sexual sin, but this backless top woman could quickly pull my mind into the dark place of secret lust. I had a dilemma and turned to God. Should I stay here with my team or turn and walk inside? I wasn't confident in my ability to stand there without stealing more glances at the woman and I had committed to being hot with Priscilla. I would need to share this experience with her. God's still, quiet voice said, It's time to get out of here. I turned on my heel, mumbled something about having a lot of work to do, and ambled through the crowd toward the now vacant elevators. I felt a sense of satisfaction, having turned from temptation. Although the backless top woman's appearance had presented an attraction, I had not allowed my mind to create a sexual fantasy. I decided to share the incident with Priscilla that evening. I knew she'd be pleased about my conversation with God and how I'd chosen to turn and leave the situation. I looked forward to her warm embrace and encouragement. After a nice family dinner, Phil and I walked outside, standing there gazing at the sunset from our front yard. I heard those dreaded words from him. I have something I need to tell you. These were the same words he used repeatedly after coming clean to share something that would be hard for me to hear. My heart sank. Please, not right now. I don't want to hear it. But I knew I needed to listen. We were committed to being hot with each other, no matter what. While I was a little apprehensive about sharing, I was thankful I had successfully overcome the temptation and done the right thing. I was looking forward to our leisurely sunset stroll and sharing, which had become part of our new evening routine since I'd come clean. Our walk and talk was a time of intimacy and reflection on our day that provided salve to our charred and healing souls. We were four months into our marriage recovery, and all the details of my secret life had been confessed to my wife and family. I felt free. Priscilla and my family had forgiven me, Priscilla had confessed her shortcomings, and we had engaged emotionally. We still had a lot of work to do, but I sensed we were past the worst part and on an upward journey together. Having climbed out of the near-fatal wreckage, we were now headed toward marital success. 
As Phil shared his experience at the backless top woman, a tidal wave of emotion crashed over me. I was suddenly drowning and couldn't reach the surface to take in a breath. I was engulfed in an emotional battle, fighting to move through the sea of past pain pushing me under again. Listening to the details of his experience with the backless top woman, I became angry and confused. I should have stopped right then and there and asked questions, but the words eluded me as I let hostility take over. It led me down a path of making assumptions and creating not-so-appealing fantasies in my mind. Phil, standing five feet from a beautiful, thin woman, she had curly hair and was wearing tight jeans and high heels. She was laughing like she was looking for a party, and she was young, sexy, and fun. All the things I wanted to be. As he talked, my fearful fantasies took a life of its own, looking very real in the cinema of my mind. Phil was moving near her, around her, leering and positioning himself to better see her breast. His mind was consumed with her as he lusted after her, wanting her sexually more than he wanted me. These thoughts, the inner voices, shut down my ability to hear Phil and the Holy Spirit and feel the animosity welling up inside of me. Priscilla was quiet as I shared about the backless top woman. As she listened to the details, I could see her countenance changing. Her lips tightened and her body language closed up. Then suddenly, she began to fire questions at me as her eyes narrowed. Why were you looking at her? How many times did you look at her? Why didn't you walk away sooner? Confusion washed over me. Her response was not the one I had anticipated, and I began to protest. I wasn't staring at her. I did walk away. You did not. You were staring and lusting for her, and you enjoyed it. I felt backed into a corner, searching for words to soothe the tempest. I wasn't focused on her. I saw her, but I wasn't fantasizing about her or lusting after her. I did the right thing. I walked away. I thought you would be pleased with how I handled it. I just don't understand how you could say you only have eyes for me, and then obviously you have eyes for her. You probably wished I looked like her. No matter how much I maintained I'd done the right thing, which I had, I was caught in Hurricane Priscilla. Is this the way our life is going to be from here on out? Where's the warm embrace and encouragement? What happened to our decision to be hot with each other? Our conflict was left unresolved that night. We were distant, each of us feeling the pain of our struggle. There was hardly any conversation other than getting our girls squared away for bedtime. The feature film of lies repeatedly played in my head over and over. Phil's posturing, leering, and lusting for the backless top woman grew more vivid. I had a long, restless, sleepless night, fighting the enemy of my soul, who in the nightmare looked a lot like Phil. The next day, he went to work without saying a word. I woke up early and decided to head to the office, though my mind was preoccupied. This won't get any better. I was losing hope, and my thoughts grew increasingly confused. We've conquered a lot, but she's a crazy woman. She's mentally unstable and emotionally driven by everything. 
She wants me to be open and honest, but she can't handle it. Just when I let her into my thoughts and struggles, she clobbers me. She doesn't really want to help me at all or truly be hot. I shouldn't have told her anything. As I pushed through the day, I let the confusion take me down into a darker place. I can't live like this anymore. Overcome with weariness, I resolved to confront Priscilla when I got home. After dinner, Phil suggested we talk outside on the porch. I knew we needed to talk, but I was exhausted and angry from the drama churning in my head. We pulled up the chairs, and he immediately put his head down on his crossed arms on the table, and I could tell he was drained, just as tired as me. He looked up and gave a sigh of defeat. I can't live like this anymore. If this is what it's going to look like from now on when I'm transparent, it's just too hard. I can't live this way anymore. I understood how he felt. The entire circumstance he pulled me into four months prior felt too hard for me as well. We'd been through a lot and taken mountain-high steps, but we both felt war-worn in the aftermath. This was not the way I had envisioned our future either. When we married 29 years earlier, we had committed never to use the D word. Although Phil had not said the word, I knew what he meant by I can't live this way. It appeared we had reached the end of our well-intentioned marriage revival, in defeat and off course from the intended road in all the strides we've made. We were getting a divorce. My words hung in the air like stench around a garbage dump. I immediately knew why I'd never used the D word. Even in this instance, I'd chosen to suggest it rather than say it. Unspoken, the term was just too final, stark, and lonely. Prior, as we navigated the swells of my coming clean, neither of us had suggested a divorce, but the tide had suddenly turned. We were both worn out. It was time to surrender and move our separate ways. There was just too much hurt, and Priscilla was never going to get over the pain. We sat still in silence for a few minutes. I was at a loss for words, trying to digest what our marriage had gone through and had now come to. Phil jarred me from my thoughts. I think we should pray. Pray, I thought. Now you want to pray? After telling me you're done? Why didn't you pray instead of lusting after the backless top woman? Why didn't you pray before you told me you were getting a divorce? I didn't feel like praying with Phil. I didn't even want to be around him. My emotions were reeling, but I knew God always pointed me towards a place of peace. So my heart moved toward him. My Heavenly Father would know what we should do, even if we'd given up. We had leaned heavily on him since Phil's initial confession, and I knew he would take care of me and my kids even if Phil and I were done. Phil might walk away from me, but my father would never leave or forsake me. I refocused on Phil, looking directly at him. I agree, and Phil began to pray. Father, we're in the middle of a mess, and I don't know what to do. I just want to give up. We need your help. Please, Lord Jesus, help us. 
Help us to see and know what you want us to do. Immediately, I felt the atmosphere change. The heaviness evaporated, and suddenly I felt peace and calm. When Phil looked up, his eyes were moist but brighter. He looked me in the eye, and his lips curved into a sly smile, like he was going to say something funny. You know, I was thinking, if we were standing before a judge and stating that we want a divorce, we'd have to give a reason. So I'd probably tell the judge I had lived an immoral lifestyle. I betrayed my wife and children, and I did a whole bunch of other misdeeds. Then the judge would ask, that's why you want a divorce? And I'd answer, no, your honor, my wife has forgiven me for all of that. Then the judge would ask, so why do you want a divorce? And I'd say, well, your honor, you see, the reason for the divorce is not the adultery, immorality, or betrayal. It's because of a woman with a backless top. Phil grinned, and so did I. Yes, it was pretty ridiculous in context of everything God had brought us through. Although we had wrestled for 24 hours and entertained the D word, it took only 60 seconds to look to God for help, and that decision immediately changed everything. Like Jesus speaking to the angry sea in Mark 4:39, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, "Hush, be still." And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. God had once again rescued our thoughts and marriage by providing clarity, perspective, and his remarkable supernatural peace. Well, Phil, I guess if I've forgiven you for adultery, living a double life, and betraying my trust and lying, I can forgive you for looking at the backless top woman. Phil's face relaxed, and his now soft eyes brimmed with tears. We held hands and resolved that we weren't getting a divorce, ever. The only D word we'd allow in our marriage would be delivered by God from the enemy who was always seeking to destroy us. After the emotion of the backless top woman had passed, we calmly reflected on what had happened in the past tumultuous 24 hours. Although that wasn't our first speed bump and certainly wouldn't be our last, we now saw each bump as an opportunity to learn what we could have done differently. One morning, Priscilla came into the kitchen, looking like she had a question for me. How far away from you was that backless top woman? Oh, I don't know, about 60 feet. No way! I thought she was 5 feet from you. Are you telling me she was really 60 feet away? You couldn't have seen anything at 60 feet. You must have eagle eyes. I know how far 60 feet is, and that backless top woman was at least 60 feet away. And maybe I couldn't see much, but I could certainly imagine a lot. That's how the mind of a man works, you know. Priscilla pointed to the trees in the yard for me to prove I knew how far 60 feet was. And we began to laugh over how we'd both missed the importance of this crucial detail. It was hard to believe, but one key detail, the 60-foot distance, could have changed my initial response as it had almost cost us our marriage and all the work we'd put into it. I had been absorbed in emotion hearing Phil's account and had failed to ask questions that could have helped me better understand what he was sharing. I had let my emotions spin me out of control, and God showed me that understanding details are a key to any confession. 
Details are contrary to our typical thinking, especially in highly sensitive circumstances. Most people would rather be vague in their confession, leaving out details, worry that too many details would be self-incriminating or embarrassing and cost them even more emotionally. But the problem with missing or withholding details is that the offended person is left with their imagination to fill the gaps. Many times, those conjured details are much worse than what actually occurred. If I had paused to ask God for help, to listen and hear the details of Phil's experience, it could have saved us both so much heartache. For the future, I prayed for God to help me ask the right questions to fill the gaps with facts. We also agreed that Phil would supply all the details prompted by God to help me work through my feelings when I failed to ask the right questions. God also showed me that forgiveness isn't a one-time event. Forgiveness is a continual walk. At the Four Days to Hope Women's Retreat, I had learned about forgiveness, but I needed to revisit forgiveness to grasp how much Christ had forgiven me. And I needed to allow God to continually work forgiveness in my life, especially in situations like the one with the backless top woman. I recalled what Jesus had said about forgiving, to forgive our brother 70 times 7, Matthew 18, 22. In other words, repeatedly forgive. With this reminder, I was able to forgive Phil for whatever he had thought, seen, felt regarding the backless top woman. We also should have prayed before Phil shared an experience. While confessing sinful desires and behavior is necessary, confessing to your spouse can be a dangerous ground, ripe for confusion, frustration, and anger. The Holy Spirit had known what Phil was going to confess, and before Phil shared, my prayer should have been as simple as, Lord, please help me in what I'm about to hear from Phil. Prepare my heart and mind to hear my spouse. Don't let my emotions go into a whirlwind. God was inviting me to receive his clarity, wisdom, and protection, and to see Phil as Jesus saw him, a son who had left his past life behind and was walking a new road of healing and wholeness. Phil's confession about the backless top woman was another step along our healing journey. I couldn't believe how our thoughts over the backless top woman had spun out of control so fast. In 24 hours, we had gone from having remarkable restoration in our marriage to heading for divorce court. The battle had formed and engaged in our minds first and erupted toward destruction. In this particular confession, Priscilla and I had both heard and believed lies. I had believed she was a crazy woman who would never be able to let go of her hurt. Priscilla had believed I was lusting, leering, and secretly wishing she looked more like the backless top woman. We had both gotten emotionally stuck and spiraled toward divorce as the lies had seized our thoughts and led us to believe our marriage was over. I considered where those lies had come from. Had they simply been our own generated thoughts, or had some thoughts been planted in our minds to distort the truth? In other words, were we solely deceiving ourselves, or were unseen spiritual forces also at work to deceive us? Again, I needed to turn to God's Word for the truth, and I read 1 Corinthians 3.18, Let no man deceive himself. 
I reasoned that it was therefore possible for us to become deceived by our own internal thoughts, which took me back to Romans 12 too, and why it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Bible also gives examples of people deceived by outside, unseen spiritual forces, such as the experiences of Ananias and King David. Two instances recount that the thoughts and actions of these two men were influenced by Satan. The Apostle Peter sharply rebuked Ananias for secretly withholding some proceeds from the sale of a land. He said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the proceeds of the land? Acts 5.3 In King David's situation, the Bible says, Satan stood up against Israel and incited David to count Israel. 1 Chronicles 21.1 I'm not sure how Satan filled the heart of Ananias or incited King David, but the Bible shows that Satan was able to influence human thoughts, which in turn influenced human decisions and actions. I revisited John 8.44 about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Since Satan is a liar, he must still be lying to somebody. Otherwise, he wouldn't be called a liar. And that somebody, as shown in the Bible, is us. In the middle of our struggle over the backless top woman, a simple prayer had allowed Priscilla and me to exchange the lies we were hearing for truth. We saw the absurdity of what we had believed, and we felt God's promise for life in our marriage, not death. Priscilla wasn't a crazy woman after all. God had brought her into my life, in part for healing, blessing, and favor. He had already supplied us with truth in His Word. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 18.22 As we looked to God for help, His Holy Spirit guided us into all the truth. John 16.13 And we experienced how the truth shall set you free. John 8.32 we added another key tool to our communication that we would use from that point forward. In the middle of any argument, we ask each other a question that rescues us from numerous disagreements, struggles, and conflicts. What are you hearing? That simple question immediately takes our attention away from our emotions and arguments to help us discern whether intruding thoughts are from Satan, designed to deceive us, pull us off track, and take our eyes off God. Not bringing God into my confession about the backless top woman had caused us to take a needless 24-hour detour that had threatened to derail our entire restoration. But God had prevailed and helped us win the battle against our fallible minds and the battle against the enemy of our souls. The issue of the backless top woman was dead. Shortly after Phil came clean about visiting massage parlors, I began to notice such places all over town. I've never paid much attention to them in the past, thinking they were just small spas, but Phil's confession had told me otherwise. Like flashing neon signs, the storefronts pushed their way into my mind, forcing me to consider their presence. They seemed to be everywhere. Questions began popping into my mind. Has Phil been there? What about that one? 
Every time we drove by one of those places, I wondered whether he had been there and if he was also seeing and thinking about them. I became angry at the businesses, wanting them all to be thrown into the pit of hell where they belonged. I knew that sounded pretty unchristian, but that was the way I felt. When I asked Phil questions, he was very hot, letting me see how his emotions, mind, and will operated. He didn't respond defensively or otherwise seem bothered by my questions. While running errands together, we passed a nondescript sign posted in a small plaza. Massage. Immediately, questions flashed in my mind, sending my emotions into a tizzy. The more I tried to ignore the hideous places, the bigger they seemed to get, and the more I imagined Phil being pulled toward them. Then my thoughts became clear. I needed to bring the questions into the light. Phil, have you ever been to that massage place? No, not that one. I've been to other ones, but not that one. If you ever want to know, just ask me. Phil's tone was sincere and unbothered, and I immediately felt better. Asking questions stopped them from flashing. I realized questions existed in darkness, the place where all sin originates and grows. All I needed to do was share them openly with Phil. That wasn't the last time I'd bring up this question, and I no longer felt the need to look for massage parlors every time we got into the car nor the need to question him every time we passed one. On the occasions when I did feel impressed to question him, the answer was simple. Yes, I did go to that one, or no, not that one. Sometimes I had follow-up questions such as, how many times? Or do you remember when? Or did you ever go back to see the same woman? Phil always gave me a straightforward answer of truth without hesitation. As months passed, my need to ask such questions diminished primarily because Phil's transparency increased my confidence that he had nothing to hide. His willingness to revisit earlier confessions helped me get over my fears. Some wives have told me their husbands demand they never ask them another question about their coming clean. Anytime a woman's fears and questions resurfaced, their husbands became angry and frustrated, backed with the remarks such as, Why do we have to talk about that again? I've already told you everything, and the answer hasn't changed. I had heard Phil respond to men who deflected their wives' questions. He'd shared with them, from his heart of understanding, his own shortcomings. Priscilla and I certainly didn't do everything right in our recovery, but one tool really helped us progress more quickly toward reconciliation. Me taking personal responsibility for causing her to feel as she does. The truth is, it's your fault your wife feels so insecure. If she asks the same question a thousand times, you have to humbly answer her questions every single time without frustration. Our foundation of transparency was now paying deeper dividends. I could see how being hot was working in our everyday lives, allowing us both to come clean when our imaginations were fighting unseen forces. I finished lunch downtown and was walking back to the office when I saw two attractive young women walking toward me. Although they were over a block away, their presence caught my attention. Tall, blonde, slender, and dressed in shorts and sandals, they looked like tourists. They bounced as they walked, laughing and joking with each other. We see a lot of tourists in Orlando, so nothing was particularly surprising about them. But as they got closer, they were looking at me. 
and I momentarily caught their gaze and looked away. Another glance at them revealed they were still watching me as they smiled and laughed. Questions popped into my head. Why are they staring at me? What do they want? Do they need help? As they got within earshot, I heard their accents, and I imagined they were from Sweden or another country famous for beautiful women. Within steps of me, they slowed, as if they wanted to talk to me. The taller of the two, probably in her early 20s, started the conversation. Excuse me, we're just wondering whether there are any good bars or places to party downtown. Do you know? I knew downtown pretty well since I had worked there for over 20 years. So I quickly rattled off some places, joking and laughing with them as we talked. But what was happening on the outside was not as important as what was occurring inside me. I imagined they weren't seeing me as a man in his late 50s, but maybe 20 years younger. Do they possibly prefer older men? Maybe these women are giving me a line about locations when they really want to party with me. As ridiculous as that now sounds, my feelings at that time weren't controlled by logic. They were controlled by my fertile imagination, along with some intruding thoughts and lies thrown in for good measure by unseen forces. The Swedish bikini models eventually said thanks and walked off. But my imagination continued to run toward them as I created all sorts of crazy scenarios of how this chance encounter could have played out. Two beautiful young women wanting to talk with an old guy like me did quite a lot for my ego, which positioned me to continue conceiving thoughts of what could have happened. When I got back to my office, I sent Priscilla a praying hands emoji, the code we'd agreed I would use whenever a battle was forming in my mind that threatened to lead me down the dark and well-trodden path. In other words, not just momentary thoughts that came and went, but thoughts that seemed impossible to get rid of, that stuck like gorilla glue, threatening to take me captive and pull me back into the sin that had dominated my life. Ever since the backless top woman, I'd experimented with sending Priscilla the praying hands each time temptation confronted me. I was amazed how fast the thoughts would evaporate as soon as I hit the send button. Moving my imagination out of darkness into the light positioned me to take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10.5. Otherwise, when I allowed thoughts to simmer in secrecy, they took me captive. The Praying Hands Code became a powerful tool God used to free me from temptations that continued to plague my life. Hitting the send button would immediately open the door to my secret thoughts and remove their power. By alerting Priscilla to my desires, I invited her to be a battle partner with me rather than merely a confession partner I used to unload the guilt of my sin. She always quickly texted back with emojis of hearts, googly eyes, or a kiss, and texted that God was with me and had power to help me overcome every temptation. Her words were powerful, letting me know she loved me and was praying for me. My text helped her learn how I thought and prompted her to come to my aid in situations that wouldn't be good for me. As thoughts of the two women teased my imagination, the praying hands to Priscilla tipped the battle in my favor. Unseen forces threatening to control my mind simply couldn't exist without secrecy. By the time I arrived home that evening, I had forgotten about the incident, but Priscilla hadn't. 
What was the praying hands about today? Oh, it was related to two young women I saw on the way back from lunch. What happened? Priscilla wanted to understand the details to avoid repeating the backless top woman debacle. Well, after lunch with a client downtown, I was walking back to the office when I saw two attractive young women walking toward me, laughing, joking, and looking like they wanted to talk to me. They were foreigners and kept staring at me, and as they drew closer, they stopped to ask me about bars and places to party downtown. So I thought maybe they were interested in me and wanted more than just information. They kept talking and joking with me, and my imagination started going haywire, thinking maybe they wanted to have sex with me. Well, they eventually left, and as I went up to the office, my thoughts about their interest in me were still spinning. So that's when I decided to send you the code. Priscilla had been watching me intently, and when I told her I had imagined the girls wanted to have sex with me, her mouth curled up like she was trying not to laugh. As I finished my heartfelt confession, she couldn't contain herself anymore. She doubled over, holding her stomach as she laughed. Phil, do you really think those girls wanted to have sex with you? I don't think so. Do you know what they actually were thinking? That you look like a safe guy to ask for help, like someone who could have been their dad. Although I was a bit offended, Priscilla was laughing so hard at the thought of those girls wanting to have sex with me, the truth of what she said quickly sank in. Well, I guess you're right. Those women probably weren't thinking about having sex with an old guy like me, but my ego and imagination said otherwise. That's why I sent the praying hands to you. It's interesting, right after I sent it, the thoughts just vanished. Priscilla kept laughing, and I sheepishly forgot the whole episode. Whatever subconscious thoughts may have been lingering were now completely gone in light of the truth Priscilla had shown me. She helped me cast down the vain imaginations that had dominated my mind only a few hours earlier. Phil's confession about the women downtown gave me another glimpse into the battles taking place inside his head, but they also created insecurities in me. Yes, Phil's imagination could run wild, but so could mine. I sometimes became the police or the Holy Spirit wanting to protect Phil and me from beautiful women I imagined he was lusting after, women I could never match up to. It was the prison of my mind, and I hated thinking such thoughts. Because of my fears, I became trapped in situation after situation. I asked God to help me break out of my self-imposed prison. One morning, the answer came. No matter how much I try, I cannot control, protect, or limit what's going on with Phil. He isn't my problem. He's God's problem. I had been relying on my own strategies, strength, and diligence to make sure I wouldn't be hurt again. In my frustration, I had become the author and perfecter of Phil's faith and mine. I had placed myself in a position that only Jesus should have occupied. Once again, I recognized Phil was in God's care, and he was the shield and protector of our lives, not me. God loved Phil more than I ever could in my humanness, and he wanted me to get out of the way and rest in what Jesus was doing as the champion who initiates and perfects our faith, Hebrews 12, 2. 
God had wanted me to simply fix my eyes on Jesus while he took care of Phil. Going forward, anytime I heard the enemy's voice telling me to pick up my police badge, I told the unseen forces, go talk to Jesus. Embracing the spiritual authority that God had given me allowed me to escape from the prison of my mind. Our experience with radical transparency produced more victory over my thought life than I had ever thought possible. When meeting with my accountability partner for over 10 years in several men's accountability groups, I'd merely use them as pressure relief valves. I'd confess just enough sin to feel better while hoping the other men were admiring me for being a great Christian guy. It was all hypocrisy and self-righteousness on my part. One day, I met with a man named John who was helping lead a men's accountability group. I shared my story with him and eventually got to the punchline. You know, John, Priscilla is now my accountability partner. His eyebrows arched and his jaw dropped as his back straightened. Priscilla, he questioned, his brow furrowed. I don't think that's a good idea. While it may feel good for you to unload your guilt on her, just think how that must make her feel. Are you really going to tell her there's other women you think want to have sex with you? Well, I've already told her things like that, I said, thinking back to the Swedish bikini models. Really? John said. How did she react? Well, she laughed and assured me the women didn't want to have sex with me. John pondered my response. So you don't think men's accountability groups are any good? Well, accountability groups can be good, but they allowed me to share more intimate details of my life than I'd shared with Priscilla. God wanted me to be as intimate with her as my wife as I am with him. I had let my accountability partners take a place that only Priscilla should have occupied. John looked and asked again, What do you think needs to change? I think many men let each other off too easy without asking hard questions because they don't want to answer any themselves. For example, someone typically asks, How did everyone's week go? Which is the code phrase for, Did anyone act out sexually? Usually, some guy looks up and sheepishly says, I was on the internet checking on travel and got sidetracked from one website to another, and I found myself on some inappropriate sites that just popped up. The other men listen, nodding to show empathy and understanding. And usually, another man then shares he had a similar experience, maybe with a slight variation. As the meeting wraps up, the leader thanks everyone for being open and honest, saying it's so good to know that we're forgiven, and assures everyone that next week will be better. Everyone agrees to pray for each other, and then, with fist bumps and shoulder hugs, everyone leaves, feeling better about what happened in their past week, but still a little bit unsure that they have what it takes to make it through the following week. John nodded, and I continued, I think we've got to be more transparent about the details of what really happened. For example, when someone says, I looked at some inappropriate websites, we should ask tougher questions like, which ones? What genre of porn was it? How long did you look at it? Did you masturbate? Did you go back to the websites later and masturbate again? Did you have sex with your wife later while thinking about the porn you just looked at? Have you told your wife? These details are where the shame resides, and shame demands secrecy. 
When we pull all these details out of the darkness and expose them to the light, their power over us just dissipates. You tell Priscilla details like this? John was clearly curious about how far I was taking this line of thinking. Yes, although I've not had anything like that to tell her since coming clean. And you know what? She's ended up sharing some things with me from her past that she'd never told anyone. So God used my freedom to encourage her to be transparent as well. We've learned we're both broken in our human nature. And through our brokenness, we've seen God use us as instruments of healing with each other. That never happened in our previous 28 years of marriage. John agreed. Yes, I do believe we have to be transparent with our wives. I've seen that in my marriage and know that transparency really brings a couple closer. But how are you doing with acting out sexually? I've not looked at porn or masturbated since I came clean with Priscilla. In the past, I thought my porn addiction needed to be controlled by the fences, curbs, and bumpers, accountability groups and partners, phone apps and counselors. Although these tools reduced the acting out, they were ineffective in helping me walk away from my sexual desires. I've seen that being honest, open, and transparent with Priscilla about everything from my past and present removes the shame and secrecy that kept pulling me back to porn. Although I still regularly meet with my accountability partner, our conversations are now more spiritually wide-ranging. While we still discuss potential sexual temptations and traps, I haven't needed to discuss sexual acting out since coming clean and battle partnering with Priscilla. Although I'm not sure my conversation with John changed his thinking about men's accountability groups, it further grounded me in my conclusions. Priscilla had become the best accountability partner I'd ever had because she was my most intimate relationship and the person most directly impacted by my actions, in addition to me. She was there when I needed her. She loved me more than anyone else and had much more at stake in our relationship than any other accountability partner. When God said it wasn't good for Adam to be alone, he created Eve. If Adam needed Jack as his accountability partner, God did a huge disservice to Adam by giving him a wife. But that wasn't the case. I'm not suggesting men's accountability groups are ineffective. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. Proverbs 27, 17. And I've experienced that truth. I'm merely suggesting that when another person takes the spouse's place in intimate accountability, they're out of bounds. Accountability groups and partners need to push men harder to disclose everything to their wives, rather than being a relief valve that enables shame to remain hidden and unresolved. There's no true freedom in the darkness of shame. In that context, I believe the accountability groups and partners can be very beneficial. Six months had passed since Phil came clean, and we attended a couple's weekend intensive with Whatever It Takes Ministries. At one point, Jenny Speed asked the couples to face their spouses and say, You're not my enemy. As Phil and I did that, there was a glimmer in our eyes as we embraced feeling of new emotions of togetherness realizing that in six months we had come a long way. Gone was the fear that we would have to live in this mess for five to ten years before God would heal us. Gone was our old life of hypocrisy, chasing a pretend Christianity, 
while wallowing in depression and anxiety that was sucking the life out of us. Gone was the anger and the bitterness that had dominated my life, and gone was the unforgiveness that had demanded revenge on Phil. We were not enemies. We were battle partners. For the first time in our marriage, we were engaging in an epic quest for life together. A new season, a new chapter without secrets. The shame and the wounds of our past were behind us, and it was time to rebuild, to create a new relationship. Although being hot had given us a new power to break free from our past, it had not been the foremost key. Something even more beautiful had created the foundation for healing, a part of a relationship that Christian couples long for but find elusive until something goes terribly wrong. It started within weeks of us coming clean. Without this key change, we wouldn't have been equipped to write this book, and we probably wouldn't still be married. And we're about to share this pivotal point with you. Savage Questions for Reflection Number 1. Have you ever wondered if intruding thoughts are your own or the work of an unseen force? If so, describe what happened and how those affected you. Number 2. Do you struggle to overcome thoughts you wish you didn't have? What can you do to have more power over your thought life? Number three, what's been your experience with accountability groups? What can be improved? Number four, how open are you and your spouse in sharing the battles going on in your minds? Do you see yourselves as battle partners? What can you do to improve? This is Phil and Priscilla Fretwell. Thanks for listening. Our book, Savage Marriage, Triumph Over Betrayal and Sexual Addiction, is now available on Amazon. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Savage Marriage Ministries. Also, join our Savage Marriage community at SavageMarriageMinistries.com. And remember, it's God who is at work in your savage adventure.